So we are in God's precious holy word, the book of Galatians, and now to chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 10. It's the continuing defense. It's Paul's continuing defense of his apostleship. Now here's why this is important. Jesus Christ commissioned personally the Apostle Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations, the nations apart from the Jews. And so in the course of his life, Paul would go through three missionary journeys. He would plant churches. He would come back occasionally and reinforce the gospel and help the churches in certain situations. But the Holy Spirit would strengthen the churches and through the people there would build up the churches all across the Roman Empire. Now people came in after him, Judaizers, trying to convince the churches that they were not quite yet Christians. They couldn't be Christians until they had first become Jews, namely for males by the right of circumcision. In other words, you have to do something to add to the grace of God. Yes, yes, there's grace, but that doesn't kick in until after you're obedient to these regulations which is, it's twisted really. Now the Apostle Paul was commissioned by none other than Christ. We already saw last time the beginning of his defense, the defense of his apostleship because he first has to show people the foundation of the gospel he preaches for them to understand and agree that there's only one gospel. There's only one true gospel. And that gospel is the gospel apart from works, not according to works. So that brings us in his defense to uh, chapter two. So we'll begin here in uh, verse one. Paul continues and he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. 14 years. Let me see if I can carry us through the timeline of Paul to this point. He's born in five or six AD, somewhere around the age of 15 or 16, somewhere along in there. Now he's born in Tarsus, which means that he's not only a Jew, he's born a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. Then he goes to enroll at the school of Gamaliel, probably the top rabbinical school of its day. And there for five years, he would study Hebrew scriptures and traditions. To Judaism, the traditions were at least as important as the word of God itself. And that's where, of course, uh, Judaism uh, becomes more cultic and not a true religion. So Paul studies and then he becomes a Pharisee after that. Then he, he 
is in agreement as one of the leaders of that particular synagogue. He's in agreement to the stoning of Stephen, stoned him to death for his, for his Christian testimony. And then Paul became very zealous as a persecutor of the church. And he began to receive letters, certifications, powers of arrest from the temple and from the high priest which at least to the Jewish world, to, the, to Judaism, gave him the authority to go in and persecute Christians, to, to root them out, to arrest them, uh, to even torment them physically, whatever it took. He was on his way to Damascus to continue that work for which he had been so highly exalted by the, by the powers that be in Judaism. But all the way... To Damascus, somebody arrested him, namely Jesus. Of course, he, he came under the vision, the bright light, and he was converted when Christ said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he goes into Damascus and finds a Christian there, and this, this, he's helped there. Then he goes to Arabia for three years. Now he spends three years with Jesus, just like the apostles spent three years with Jesus. So he has the same kind of, of training, if you will, that the apostles had. But the apostle Paul had it all to himself. He continued in his, in his uh, growth in the work of the, of the Lord Jesus came back to Damascus and then went to Jerusalem so that he could there join the disciples. In other words, he wanted to join the church in Jerusalem. Well, they were afraid of him. And so they rejected him. He withdrew back to his hometown of Tarsus for about nine years. So a lot of time has passed since Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. While he's in Tarsus, he's making tents and he's doing a little preaching around. But Barnabas remembers this guy. Now Barnabas in the book of Acts was an important member, an important disciple at the church in Jerusalem. Uh, in the early days of the church, the disciples the church members, if you will, they sold everything they had and they put it into a pot so that everybody, it was sort of like communism and it failed, <laughs> frankly. But Barnabas had sold a piece of land and had contributed greatly to the cause of the church there. And so he was, a, he was, a, he was an important member, Barnabas, son of encouragement, that's his name. He remembered Paul, nine years in past, he goes to Tarsus. And he says, Saul, uh, Saul, I want you to go with me to Antioch. There's a great work there we can teach in Antioch. So Saul of Tarsus joins Barnabas. They go to Antioch. There was a prophecy that came from one of the early New Testament prophets, Agabus, and he prophesied of a famine in Jerusalem. So Barnabas and Saul took up an offering and carried the offering to Jerusalem to help the church in Jerusalem. They go back to Antioch. When they get back, the church at Antioch separates them. The Holy Spirit separates them. 
The church lays hands on them and the church sends them out on that first missionary journey. And on that first missionary journey, including places in Galatia, uh, Lystra, Derby, other places, um, Gentiles were coming to the faith. They, they were children of God. They were saved folks. They had never been Jews. They weren't that familiar with Judaism, but the power of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of Barnabas and Saul, a great movement of the Lord, and they came into the church, Gentiles, not Jews. Word gets back, and so these Judaizers go around and say, that can't be. They have to be Jews first. We're not going to give this up. They have to be Jews before they can be Christians. So this is what Paul is facing with, uh, with the Judaizers going to Galatia, trying to convince the Christians there that the, the men are going to have to be circumcised and they're going to have to come under the rituals of Judaism before they can actually be received into the church. And that is not the true gospel. The apostle Paul is now defending the true gospel and doing so by defending who he is. Now at this time, okay, that brings us, they come back from the missionary journey and they report what has happened to the church at Antioch. And then Barnabas and now Paul, the apostle, will go to Jerusalem. And that's where we come to here. They go to Jerusalem to defend the true gospel of Jesus Christ and to confront the root of the Judaizers in the church. So that's what's happened across those 14 years. And if you add the three years in Arabia, you're looking at 17 years. Paul has been in the ministry now for 17 years. And he says, he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Now Barnabas was a beloved disciple who was from Jerusalem. Everybody loved Barnabas. When Barnabas comes and his traveling companion is none other than Saul of Tarsus, who is the apostle Paul, the church is more open now to the apostle Paul. They bring with them a Greek whose name is Titus. Here it is. Having taken Titus also with me. This is, this is living proof of a born again Christian, a spirit baptized believer, a child of God who is an uncircumcised Greek who has never been a Jew. They bring living proof in this man of what God is doing everywhere with the gospel across that part of the Roman Empire. Now I went up according to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. A revelation. This is nothing new to the Apostle Paul. He had, he had several revelations across, across his ministry Direct communication from Jesus Christ. So here what he's saying is no, none other than Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to me in a revelation and has confirmed in my heart, not just by the work that has occurred and by the people who have been saved, but by the confirmation of Christ himself in a revelation that there's just this one gospel 
So I'm, I'm armed with this revelation. And so with that, Paul, knowing that the Holy Spirit of God is going to back him up, he sets before those in Jerusalem the gospel that he has been proclaiming among the Gentiles. But before that, in deference and respect uh, to the apostles, uh, the original apostles, those who were there, they were not all there. He says, however, privately to those individually esteemed as influential. And he'll name them here in, in just a minute. Lest hardly I should be running or have run in vain. Paul, told by Christ in a revelation, knowing that these apostles had lived under Christ for three years, knowing the power of the Holy Spirit, knows that they're going to agree with him and confirm everything that he says. So the first thing he does when he gets there is he has a little meeting with those apostles who were there. Peter was among them. So that no one could stand up in a meeting and say that he's, he's running around the other guys, you know. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm running in vain. The Bible says in Acts 15, and Paul is recounting the meeting, the council in Jerusalem, Acts 15. This is important to us because of the gospel we preach. You see, line upon line, precept upon precept, the work of God continues. What Seth preached in the pre-flood world, what Enoch preached in the pre-flood world was the gospel, but it was in a setting in which they were armed with that truth that was useful for their day. There was no sense in the pre-flood world, for example, explaining to them the seven seals that are broken in the revelation. I mean, a lot of things that the, the people of God just didn't need at that point in time. But then the flood came and Noah offers his offering and there's a, a special relationship between the family of Noah and Yahweh. And then comes forth Shem, the, the, uh, the one who is who is the, uh, the, the, the one who is the, the leader of the Semitics. He, he, is, he is the one whose descendants, he's the ancestor. His descendants would become the Semitic peoples and most specifically Abram, who would become Abraham, and then Isaac, then Jacob. So there is a message that continues through here until you get to the time of Moses and then the law is given and the, the message is strengthened and it, it becomes more applicable according to the day. The truth of God is growing. That continues all the way through the rite of circumcision for the, for the Israelites in the Old Testament and the ritual and the law that they are given and the prophets who come and the judgments that come. But all the while, there's a prophecy of the coming of the Christ, okay? And here's my point. The time 
is now for people to realize that the message, the gospel of God, the elect of God, according to the Great Commission, will come from the uttermost parts of the earth. They're going to come from everywhere. They're not going to just be Israelites. They're not going to just be Jews. They're going to be people everywhere. And Christ has come to fulfill the law. The traditions that I mentioned earlier that were extra biblical, they were not of the Bible. The traditions had become at least as important, if not more so, to Judaism than the Word of God. And, and the Pharisees were the overseers of, of imposing those rules upon the people of God in that day. Christ has come to dispel that and to fulfill the law of God for all of us, including Old Testament people. They looked forward to the day of Christ. We look back to the day of Christ on the cross. So Christ dies for us, fulfills the law for us, and we have faith in Christ. We are justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing to the glory of God. Now, he says, not even Titus, a Greek who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. So here they are in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. The apostles are there. The brother of the Lord, James, is there. Nobody will agree in that meeting that Titus has to be circumcised before he is allowed to come in and to be considered a part of who they are. Paul continues, yet because of the false brothers brought in secretly who came in by stealth to spy out our freedom we have in Christ Jesus so that they might enslave us, that they would enslave us, we didn't even give them a moment's, a moment's attention. That's, this is a, a figure of speech. It's literally in the, in the Greek, it literally says we didn't yield an hour we didn't subject ourselves to them, not even an hour. But what he is saying in the, in the timber of the, of the text and context, we didn't, even, we didn't even give them a place on the agenda. They didn't have any. These Judaizers had no place who wanted to impose the slavery of Judaism upon the church. We didn't give them anything. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. It's a watershed moment in Acts chapter 15. Of those who are in authority and the officials who are in the meeting, there, there is not one objection raised to the truth of the gospel that it happens without regard to Judaism. In other words, Christianity is not a follow-up to Judaism. It is the continuing call of God to his elect, which now is extended to all of the world. Christ has come. He has fulfilled the law. And those who are drawn to Christ and look to him in faith are saved, plus nothing, so that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. 
This conflict never ends. Never ends. There are always, even those who are within the church, there are always those who rise to object to the sovereign grace of God in Jesus Christ, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, to the glory of God alone. Now we have our, we have our own ordinances, of course, in the church, and those things are important to us. And I believe any obedient church and any obedient Christian wants to participate in those ordinances. But they're not requirements for salvation. These are the, these are the obedient actions that flow forth from our salvation. But the truth of the gospel is that we're only saved by the grace of God plus nothing. There is nothing else that we can add to the finished work of Christ. This is the glory of the gospel that can be carried all over the world. We don't have to carry a set of knives with us so that we require circumcision. We don't have to carry a set of, uh, of vessels that other rituals might be required because those other rituals had to be attended to in the temple. We sure can't carry the temple of Jerusalem with us all over the place. The truth of the gospel is that we are armed with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that is seen all the way through the Bible. I, I spoke yesterday online uh, from Joel, who is believed to be the first of the writing prophets. And he talks, he talks about uh, the day of the Lord. And he's describing what happens in the book of the Revelation during the time of the tribulation and the great tribulation. And he summarizes it way back in the, what, the ninth century BC or so. He talks about the, the great and terrible day of Yahweh, of the Lord. And then after telling us that we are headed to a catastrophic judgment that the world itself will not escape. Then he begins to talk about grace, frankly. And the crux of that passage there after his description of the terrible day of the Lord is whoever appeals to the name of the Lord will be saved. And that was the text that Peter used on the day of Pentecost and that Paul uses in his letter to the Romans in uh, chapter 10. The truth of the gospel. What does it mean to appeal to the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord, to appeal to the name of the Lord? Well, if you appeal to his name, you're appealing to the true and living God. And Yahshua's Eshua is God's, God the Savior which presupposes a need for a savior, which presupposes a condition of sin and conviction, thus invoking divinely from God our call, our appeal to the name of the Lord with the promise we will be delivered, we will be rescued, we will be saved. That's the truth of the gospel. There is a terrible day of judgment coming. The only way that you can escape this judgment 
is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior. You are a sinner. You are helpless. You are undone. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing that you can do to keep yourself saved. You appeal to Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He died on the cross to take care of you. He lives to take care of you. He's coming again to take care of you. He'll always take care of you, but none other than Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which we may be saved except for the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Come to Christ by faith. Now we present the simple gospel message and we make an appeal in an external fashion, but it is God via his Holy Spirit who pricks and convicts the hearts and draws people to himself. And it is a joy and a comfort to watch the power of God as he brings people to himself. You don't have to do something else first. You don't have to add anything to that. You come to Christ. This is the truth of the gospel. Paul is defending this. This is where, this is where the work of God calling out his people has come, namely in Acts 15, for the, for the spirit-filled apostles. Now remember, you had to be a, you had to be a special person to be an apostle, and not the least of which you had to have had a, a personal experience with Christ. And they're all in agreement. Paul's gospel is the gospel. Paul said, we've never yielded anything to the Judaizers so that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now of those to be esteemed something, now, he's, you know, he's, he's not being sarcastic. He's being somewhat respective, but, uh, respectful, but uh, he's talking about the, the, other, the other guys who were the original apostles. Now, of those to be esteemed or who were in, in, to, to be thought of as influential, whatever they were formerly makes no difference to me. The surface of a man, God doesn't accept. Now, that what is probably translated, God is not partial or something like that. Well, what he said, the, the literal translation is your appearance, your surface, even though you may be esteemed, that makes no difference to me, Paul says. For the esteemed added nothing to me. God doesn't accept what people impose on what he says, he doesn't accept that. It doesn't matter who they are. And the esteemed added, now what he means by that is those who were influential in that meeting, the apostles, those who were there who were the influential ones, they didn't add a thing to my gospel. That's what he's saying. They didn't require an extra thing at all. They all were in agreement. This is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So those things, those things are of God. They're not of man. It doesn't matter his appearance, his person, what he looks like, how he presents himself, or what people may think of him. They didn't add a thing 
to my gospel. But on the contrary, having seen that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcision, just as Peter with that of the circumcision, for the one having worked in Peter for apostleship of the circumcision did also in me toward the Gentiles. Now that's not two separate gospels. What it means is that Peter starts in Jerusalem, he moves out from there, and his, his work, his, especially his initial work, is among the Jews. Paul is different. Paul's initial work is among the Gentiles. They're both preaching the same gospel. But the work of Peter is in one direction, and the work of Paul is in another direction. So they saw that their gospel was the same. What he's preaching to them is what I'm preaching to the Gentiles. And there is no difference in the great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having known the grace, having been given to me. Now remember 17 years have passed, Paul, the persecutor of the church, has been in the ministry for 17 years. He has worked. Man, he was beaten and whipped. He has marks on his body. It was difficult for him, but he never stopped because he was commissioned by Christ to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. It had been tough, but the grace of God was in him. And the grace of God in him was stronger than anything the world could throw at him. And the grace of God, which predated his life, was seen working in him on the road to Damascus. And even, and even then in crescendo all the way through those 17 years, the previous 17 years of his ministry. I know the grace of God that's been given to me. And it was obvious to these guys as well. James and Kephas and John. James is the brother of the Lord. Kephas and John, Peter and John, apostles. James was esteemed as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Paul says those guys were esteemed to be pillars in the church. They gave the right hands of fellowship to me and Barnabas that we should go to the Gentiles, but they would go to the circumcision. They only asked one thing, that we should remember the poor. And that same thing I was also eager to do. Now, why did they ask that? I'll tell you why. The church in Jerusalem was struggling they had been ostracized by their Jewish brethren or counterparts or whatever. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. I'm sure that work was difficult to find. They had exhausted the great treasury that everybody had put into when they first became disciples of Christ. And so now they have nothing. People have to eat. They have to, they have to be resourced in order to preach the gospel. And the church at Jerusalem was the first one. So this simple request, 
Remember the poor. And Paul said, you know what? I was eager to do that myself. They didn't even have to say that. I was ready to do that. To help churches where they need help so that the gospel will not be silenced or stopped. That those people may have the resources and the personal strength to go out into this world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was eager to do that. So we're all in this together, essentially, is what these three, James, Kephas, and John, they're saying to Paul and Barnabas, we're all in this thing together. And there are times that we'll be able to help you. There are other times that you'll need to help us, but all to the glory of God for the sake of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is a great, uh, this is a great victory for the church and it is a great watershed moment in the time of God's call to his elect. So that namely in these last days, we are armed with the true gospel, the one gospel of Jesus Christ. That you're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's it. You cannot add to the gospel of Christ. You cannot add to the grace of God. Christ cried out from the cross, it is finished, it is accomplished, and he is our Sabbath. According to the teachings of the New Testament, prefigured in the Old Testament by the day that was called the Sabbath, he is now our rest, and we repose in him and his finished work to our salvation. Thank you for being with us here today in our worship time. And remember that our, our Bible study tonight is at six o'clock. So we'll pray now and we'll be through, okay? Oh, Father, help us to carry this gospel wherever we may go. Though we are stuck at home, we can write it on Facebook. We can send it out in emails. We can proclaim it in ways that previous generations didn't enjoy because we know that nothing will stop the gospel of Christ until the last of us has been brought into the fold. And Lord, we know that everything is according to your purpose and even this era, this strange time of life for us, somehow it's according to your purpose, it's worldwide and it it wouldn't be if it wasn't according to your ordained purpose. So we find better and greater ways to do what you've called us to do, namely to carry out the Great Commission. We can do that so easily just online right now in these days. Because we, we, we know, Lord, that you have given us an audience stuck at home looking for something. And even then, by your divine and sovereign way, you can draw those eyes and those minds and their attention to the gospel, whoever may be presenting it at whatever time. 
across the world. And we know, Lord, that we are in your kingdom and that your kingdom will supplant all other kingdoms. And with that in mind, we look forward to the coming of our great King and our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.